When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Get them! They're everywhere! <gasps> Crimes were committed by law-abiding citizens. They all have seen nightmare visions beforehand. The same pattern is repeating around the world, so there could be an overriding paranormal element. Are you talking about magic? Then we have to find John Constantine. Into the house! Come on, it's a dream team. You, me, Zatanna, Batman, maybe even a Justice League. Let's take a walk on the dark side then. Swamp Thing! You dare threaten the green. Draga Malefic. Draga Malefic. Let's do this. Fuck it off. Your life is a patchwork of blackness with no time for joy. How do you cope with it? I have a butler. Shama people, and welcome to our 182nd episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and as always joining me is my podcasting partner in crime and wonderful friend, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? Uh, not too bad. My allergies are kicking my butt, but otherwise, I'm still breathing. <laughs> well, the important thing is you're still breathing and you're doing, you know, you're alive and well to do this particular episode with me because folks would be incredibly bored of just hearing me drone on for hours. So I'm glad that you're able to talk today because today's a very interesting one, I would say. We are discussing Justice League Dark from 2017. This was directed by Jay Oliva, whose movies we have already seen and discussed on this podcast when it comes to the animated side of DC. This was co-written by Ernie Outbacker and J.M. DeMatteis, while the score was by Robert J. Kroll. So when it comes to, to general impressions of this one, uh, Keith, what did you make of Justice League Dark? Uh, I'm kind of torn with this one. Uh, I like the art style they use in terms of the characters, and it made them seem a little bit... Um, truer to life in terms of like the comic books this was part of the whole new 52 reboot so they were trying to stick to more of that artistic style which i, I did appreciate and like um the character cast was great they fit their they matched up the characters to the voices perfectly obviously they took constantine from the tv show and 
transition into the animated series, which was great because everybody loved him as John Constantine. And it was nice to show like the continuity between the cartoons and the live action because he continued on to, you know, do the different series in the CW Arrowverse. So that was a fun little nod to like, hey, we appreciate what you did on your show on this other channel. And everybody liked you, so we'll keep using you. The story, eh, was a little um, shaky at best, um, but you know it was a nice way to introduce uh, viewers to the dark universe or the magical universe of the DC universe. So it was kind of getting your foot in the door and not going too crazy into like the deep end of magic in the DC universe, which if they really kind of went down that rabbit hole is crazy, like more so than in the Marvel universe. So it's a good starting point. I agree with you. And in fact, I remember you mentioning multiple times that when it comes to magic and the occult and what have you, DC tends to have the upper hand over Marvel in the sense of their numerous, um, very fascinating characters. And just, it's literally a universe of its own where you have all these characters you might never have heard of or never see, but are all brought in. I guess it could be equated to what Marvel has when it comes to the space universe or their galactic side of stuff, where they have tons of aliens and creatures and what have you. I think that's what very much DC is to Marvel. And since they've it expanded their more magical occult um, side compared to, say, the space stuff. I mean, they do have space people and aliens, but don't get me wrong, but it this seems like it's more expanded and richer and that was something that i always loved about the dc universe both when it comes to comics and you know uh, movies like this one i i enjoyed this i I agree with you i think it is an excellent starting point for somebody who wants to get to know these characters which might not usually crop up when it comes to following regular characters you know like your batman or your superman or what have you and so it uh, it's nice to bring in some of these side characters that i do have a few questions by the end of this movie because there are certain narrative threads which don't really get resolved and you don't really know where they go but i will i will address that when we get to uh, when we start get to wrapping up but other than that i thought it was good i agree i think the voice acting was was well done the story i thought was was interesting and fun where you know we get that uh, we think that our villain is one guy and then we get the twist which I have to be honest, I did not see coming. I did not expect this particular twist uh, when it came to who basically ushers in our our main villain, if you will. And uh, and yeah, and all in all, I thought the dialogue was good. What I thought was curious is it's clearly I think they're clearly going for maybe a more adult audience because of you get to see a lot of people literally dying and blood mm-hmm. and the gore and what have you. But that is also a little bit inconsistent in places because when people get stabbed and, and such, you see the blood. But when they get into fist fights, none of them seem to have any kind of scars or anything like that. Like you don't see a nosebleed or or, or, or should we say or, or stuff like that. So I was like, they're kind of picking and choosing when it comes to showing, should we say, reactions to uh, being in a battle, which seems a little bit right. odd. But other no, than that, right. so, go ahead. So no, you're right. It's very kind of all over the place and i think it's one of those like too much blood they have to go through such and such rating but just enough blood you can kind of be like well they're wounded yeah that's right yeah because when you see like people getting punched you wouldn't really you won't really see it in their faces (laughs) as in you won't see like i don't know uh, they broke a lip for example like i said or your typical nosebleed or a black eye or even things like that you wouldn't have that but when you're literally looking at sword fighting and heck people getting run over in the street which is pretty violent if you will 
Very the aggressive. Other, yeah. <laughs> well, people jumping off buildings and killing themselves by jumping off a building. So it does get it kind of does get pretty dark in places, you know, it's in the title. But when it came to like I said, fisticuffs and what have you, it seemed it seemed a little bit strange we wouldn't have those same reactions. But that said, I thought the story was good. I um, I'm looking forward actually to uh, watching the uh, should we say sequel to this, which I have yet to sit down and watch and look forward to that discussing that one with you eventually. So uh, I thought this was I agree it was a great starting point. So I guess we could start off by looking at two of our more prominent members of this Dark Justice League. We have, of course, like you mentioned, the aforementioned Matt Ryan as John Constantine and Camilla Luddington as Zatanna Zatara. So what do you make of these two characters, Keith? In terms of casting, I actually I liked the two individuals playing the parts. In terms of writing, I was a little put off by how they wrote Zatanna. They kind of made her a little bit weaker than what everybody who reads the DC comic books knows her because she is a spectacular badass. She is one of the most powerful sorcerers, sorceresses in the DC universe. And here, Constantine's kind of like, okay, well, remember what I taught you? I taught you this. I taught you that. She can hold her own in her own right. So it's just almost a little put off by it. But I, I, I get since they wanted to make Constantine the main character of the show that they want to make him the the better of the two but at the same time knowing her back story was kind of like well you guys didn't really have to do that too much no i thought I, it, it's it's a good point because it's interesting that we do get to see at a, you know at a certain point satana shine when they they have their confrontation with felix faust but part of me was almost like i would have liked to have seen this more when they were confronting destiny but right. um but that's another another kettle of fish though it's true for the most part of this this movie, if you will, we have that whole concept of, you know, those who even don't know that John and Zatanna were dating at one point and now they're kind of like the broken up couple. It's kind of like seeing, you know, two people who have broken up and haven't really kind of kept in touch because it was a, it was a bad breakup. And, you know, Zatanna kind of mentions this when John comes into her life again and they, they bring up things that it, Zatanna brings up things that she wasn't particularly happy with when it came to John, him being incredibly selfish and having so much blood on his hands and him at the same time criticizing her, saying, you're not using your magic to do it, to make an something, a difference in the world. You're now, you're now using your magic to entertain idiots. And it very much seems to, to kind of uh, anger him because I think he sees and knows the potential that Zatanna has and what she, the good she could do in the world. But Zatanna, I think, maybe is just elected at this point, at least in the story, to uh, not be a hero because it's just not part of her, her bag. It's just not something that she's interested in. And so she's like, I'd rather do something that makes people happy rather than go out and kill people or or do all this kind of thing. And to a certain extent, John is a rascal and we know this. But I, I think at the same time here, he does, he both, I think they help each other out somewhat by the end of this film because John, I think, has been able to somewhat show Zatanna what he means by the differences she can make. And I think Zatanna's learned this by the end of the film. But at the same time, uh, at the same token, I think Zatanna's taught something to John about himself as well as not to be such a prick. And not be so <laughs> uptight about uptight about stuff, and maybe treat his house with more respect, and and maybe see people for what they are, and you know remind him of what had happened when it came to Richie and and such. So I think they do they do go through quite the growth between the two. 
But at the same time, one can maybe argue that Satana decided to be a performer, if you will, within the entertainment world because she knows how powerful she can be and she's afraid of losing control like we see her do when it comes to fighting Felix Faust. And that's maybe why she is elected not to be, she would say, on the front lines. So I, I like that, that aspect as well. And on a side note, since you mentioned the house, for those of you uh, who've not um, watched this yet or anything, the house is a sentient being or sentient, I should say, and has a physical form. And the house actually likes her more than him, but he is technically the head, quote unquote, head of the house. So, yeah, that's always that was a fun little angle that they, they could have explored more of as well. Yeah, because I, th- yeah, I think the concept is, is whoever owns the House of Mysteries can literally tell the house what to do. And that's why, of course, we have the personification of the house or the spirit of the house, who uh, obviously, like you said, seems to be much, much more prefers Zatanna's touch to, to John's. I mean, but then again, we know that John is not particularly liked by many people because right. he's just, he, he, yeah. He's very heavy handed. Yeah, and he's just not a game play, a team player, as he himself says. And it's curious, I think, how similar to a certain extent him and Batman are in that respect. Even though their approaches are different, they are not that different at the same time as well, because they're both lone wolves. If you want I mean, Batman granted has the Bat family, but for the most part, even when it comes to the Justice League, there are certain situations where he himself is like, I work alone kind of thing. And so there is that there, I think there are quite a few traits in John that we do also see in Batman as well. We'll get to talk about Batman here shortly. But uh, no, I, uh, Matt Ryan is my Constantine, I guess, at this point. And I'd like right. to see him return in live action, either in a movie or what have you, because apparently now the Constantine sequel with Keanu Reeves, I believe, has either now been postponed or cancelled. So I wonder if we'll ever see, you know, Hellblazer, if you will make a big return on the big screen in live action with Matt Ryan. But I guess it remains to be seen. But I did like the interaction between the two. And I wonder whether by movie's end, when they both enter the house, whether they are going to get together again, or it's just like, you know, we'll see where this goes. And it's just two friends kind of having a beer together. And that's that. I mean, what did you make of that, that kind of final moment between the two of them? They were kind of flirty through the whole thing so i expect them to at some point because you know again you know in the dc cartoon universe everything takes place over a, pe- a long period of time so i wouldn't be surprised if they got back together again mm. yeah because that's kind of what might have been implied when we, you typically see the door close and not to mention maybe boston himself might be getting some as well so i guess everybody's happy which is which is fantastic at least when it comes to these people so i guess we can move on here and look at three other members of our team we have the aforementioned jason omara as bruce wayne batman nicholas torturo yes he is brother to john torturo as boston brand dead man and ray chase as jason blood etrigan so what did you make of these three? Um, honestly, and don't kill me because I am a Batman fan. He was kind of like the most throwaway character, really, because you know he has no magic abilities, and I get it. He's supposed to be the the us in this equation, where like we have no magic, so he's the equivalent. But he's freaking Batman, so really, you know, you can't get mad at it. 
Um, in terms of like out of all the characters from the Justice League they could have included with Constantine, I would have preferred, say, like Wonder Woman, who's another magical user, or, you know, Shazam, who's, an, again, another magical user. But I, I get it. Everybody loves Batman, and they wanted to tie the Justice League to this new Justice League, quote unquote, dark, even though technically they were just a bunch of ragtag people up until Batman collecting all of them. Uh, Dead Man, he was again another one of those characters. If you don't know his backstory, everybody's going to be sitting there scratching their head like, who's this guy? Thankfully, they did everybody the favor of the flashback explaining his story because, again, Batman doesn't know who this person is. So they're explaining to Batman, aka us, you know, the dead man. And basically, he's just a slime ball, really, the long and the short of it. So he did some sketchy stuff and got shot for doing some sketchy stuff. So he kind of got his just desserts. Um, Jason Blood, I, I think he should have gotten his own movie in general because it's such an interesting story that he has been creeping around since Camelot days and has gone through all of this stuff. And, you know, from Camelot to quote unquote present day, that's a long period of time. He's been, you know, several hundred years that he's been on this planet interacting, not interacting, doing whatever he has to do. And he's been on his own little quest. He is the incredible Hulk of magic, essentially. You know, he transforms into Etrigan, the or Etrigan, whatever, the rhyming demon, which is actually very funny and very comical, just because of the fact that he rhymes every time he talks. And you're just like, I, I can't take you seriously, but then at the same time, you're literally spitting fire. So I gotta be afraid of you. So it, it's an he's an interesting character. I definitely don't think they did him justice in the respect that he could have been flushed out into his own series. And then granted, everything that happens in the show, you know, kind of ruins that. But whatever, you know, DC could have just done another prequel spinoff, something or other, blah, blah, blah. But I, I liked them. I liked the cast that they had playing Felix and Jason Blood. The voices actually weirdly matched up perfectly for those types of characters. You know, sometimes you get those voice actors that just don't work with who they're playing. I think, you know, Jason is Batman. He is one of my um, favorite Batmans. Obviously, he's not the favorite, but he, I think he does a, a very good Batman. You know, um, Ray for Jason Blood was good. Um, what's his face for Felix? Again, all really good. Those are characters like... If you told me who they were after the fact, which I had to look them up, I was like, oh, yeah, no, that's perfect. That's literally who makes perfect sense for those people they're playing. Oh, I, I think so, too. I think Jason O'Mara did a great job voicing Batman. I mean, we barely get Bruce Wayne in this in this film, except for when, of course, uh, he, get, he gets these very weird messages from Dead Man, not knowing who's who's scrolling on his walls, you know, constantly and constantly, constantly. And when we learn that it was, in fact, Dead Man haunting him but maybe i guess the role of batman at first the idea i got first was he is the skeptic when it comes to the world of magic because yeah. you know when he's meeting with the actual justice league the the rest of the met team members kind of tell him you know you don't really believe in magic or rather they berate him for everything that the kind of enemies we have faced throughout the years you should have believe in magic more and it seems like Batman at that point is kind of trying to almost see that everything's rooted in science, so there must be another explanation to it, even though well, he's either in denial or denying it, because 
even Superman gives him the huge example of Shazam. Explain right. Shazam to me. How can you find the scientific, you know, reason or how can you not believe there's magic in the world with a hero like Shazam or like I mentioned before, some of the, the villains we faced. So I think he starts off a little bit on the skeptic side. We don't really see him saying now I believe in magic, but what I do love about him is he's, he's also the very cynical Batman. As in, even when, even the things he can't see, like the avatars of death outside of Richie's house, he can't see them. But apparently when they start kind of circling around, he just goes, boo, and they run away. Which is away. great, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I loved it because like he has no idea what he's looking at, but he, he gets an idea because it gets described to him. But it shows you also, I guess, how what a badass Batman is. He's not even scared of ghosts. He just couldn't nope. care less. He's like, you know, and they, whatever. And that that throwaway line about like we've been trying to collect his soul for a really long time and he keeps getting away. Yeah, I love that. That was amazing. And that was I will say that it was a, a good little like jab at the, the death and everything because Batman is one of those, you know, hard to kill characters. Yeah, exactly. The man's been cheating death for years and years and years. So for the most part, I think that's what it was because he was still kind of doing his, in inverted commas, detective work because I believe he'd actually figured out at a certain point. He's the one who figures out that Felix Faust is kind of just a distraction and our real villain is, of course, uh, Richie Simpson and Destiny. But the way he goes about everything is just he's very matter of fact. He's very kind of just like, I'm in a magic house. I don't care. Let Can we just get down to business here and everything else? And everybody's just kind of dealing with their own stuff, obviously, uh, John and Zatanna, who keep kind of uh, nipping at each other. And then, of course, you have Boston, who's completely all over the place. <laughs> and Jason Blood. I mean, yeah, it's same thing. Speaking, actually, of, uh, of Boston, I, I very much got that same impression. I'm like, yeah, he's a little bit of a slime ball. Apparently, when he was alive, Deadman was very much the philanderer and the ladies' man and would sleep around and kind of creep on women. And... <laughs> I think it's almost no surprise, almost ironic that he can now get inside people. I'm like, is that what is that we're supposed to kind of get from that? He can possess people because he was a bit of a creepo and they're still letting him do it. Granted, there weren't any sort of, should we say, perverted or weird overtones to that. But I'm like, this isn't the irony is not lost on me that having been that kind of creepy guy, he's doing it. He, that's his power now. And that's what he does. And he was maybe, I think, also the comedic relief for the most part, because he was the one kind of making bit, these, yeah. very, these very sort of whippy jokes here and there, which some landed, some did not. And that's really what he does, I guess, at the end of the day. That's, that's Boston Brand and, he get, and, and getting on everybody's nerves, of course, because I guess that's a, <laughs> that's no, the kind I'm of character. That that's the kind of character the dead man is. I mean, the concept is great, but yeah, he did come off as a little bit annoying. And I totally agree with you. I would love to have a full-blown Jason Blood Etrigan movie because the complexity of this character, that he's had to deal with a demon, a literal demon, forever. And he's been, he's been searching and searching and searching for a way to finally die or at least rid himself of Etrigan. And obviously by movie's end, he's able to get that. And he's actually finally able to die because Etrigan was what keep, was keeping him alive because I believe he was on the point of death Yes. And it was Merlin who tied him and Etrigan together. So he, he, these characters, once again, they all, all kind of rem remind me a little bit of Batman because Jason is also very somber, very kind of brooding. And 
So he, I can see how him and Batman could possibly get along for that reason, because he's just as racist and he can't tolerate John. Like he's, they're playing cards with the demons and he's like, what? He's almost like, why am I even here? You know, because he's just like, he really is just totally sick of it. But yeah, then when, of course, Etrigan's brought out, that's the reason why we have him there, because Etrigan is a force to be reckoned with and uh, is just a super powerful demon. So I, I did like that, but I agree. Maybe we would have been nice to have had more when it came to, to that story. Or like you said, take Jason Blood out of the equation and give us somebody else or go, go for Jason Blood Etrigan's story. But uh, what Ray Chase brought to the character is wonderful. I knew who this character was, obviously, but I thought to myself, somebody who's introduced to this guy for the first time is probably like, this is a really interesting guy. So it would be, it's a shame that he dies by the end of this. No, I, I agree with you. And, and they've popped up, or Etrigan has pop, popped up in the different cartoons, the different Justice League iterations, and even that really trashy Batman, the Brave and the Bold cartoon, which was horrible. They had him. So we, we've seen him, but they've never... He's very much a peripheral character that I guess doesn't really have any core enemies per se himself. He's always helping out with something else. Like he's there for when, you know, the magic hits the fan, as it were. But he's not like, oh, I need to go chase down this magic something or other, or wizard so and so. So he's just off doing his own little thing that kind of just gravitates toward danger because he's mm. a, a, a naturally good person and he's always trying to help out yeah because i guess you know it plays the fact that he was a knight to begin exactly. with and, and even though he's lived through the eras and learned other things i guess it plays up the fact of being a chivalrous knight at the time of camelot so it's all about protecting the innocent and selfless and and such so it's very much inherent to his character i wonder how it would have played out if we hadn't had him or we'd had somebody else like say the phantom stranger for example uh. See, you know, you think we've had the same problem with the Phantom Stranger. No, the Phantom Stranger is the hand of, you know, the one above all. So like if you had they couldn't have had the Phantom Stranger or the Spectre because they're just so OP that they would have ended the story right away. You know, it would have been like, like oh, you're the bad guy. Boom, you're dead or whatever the case may be, because the Spectre is the, the you know the wrath of the one above all so yes if you piss him off good luck for you because you know nothing's going to stop him he is kind of like the big brother to dead man like where dead man can kind of just take you over and, and fuck with shit yeah the specter is literal power he can bring people back from the dead he can you know take assuming you know you're not some you know um an exception or something that's super, super powerful in terms of will wise, he can take over anybody. Hell, he took over Hal Jordan and made him a specter. So if that character was in here, he could take over like Batman and just, you know, we're done. So that's kind of that scenario. There's a lot of ridiculously powerful magical users in the DC universe that if they had them in this movie, it would have ended much, could have ended sooner. I should say. Speaking of which, what the heck was it with Swamp Thing? Is he dead at this point? Technically, yes. But there were two iterations of Swamp Thing in the New 52 universe. You had uh, Alec Holland and this other guy, Levi. So mm -hmm. Alec was first, and I believe Levi was second. Yes. And 
I don't know. They they were trying to make Swamp Thing much more of a mystical being because he was the the avatar of the green, and the green mm-hmm. is you know the life on Earth and the planet. Which, ironically enough, in Justice Society, it's the Green Lantern. He is the avatar of the green, and in uh, Earth Two, which is another spinoff comic book, it was a Green Lantern who was the avatar of the green. So, in the New Fifty Two, they made Swamp Thing the avatar. I mean, so I, that was good. No, so I, so I guess he's sort of kind of dead for now, maybe. Yeah, because that was the thread that wasn't really resolved by the end of this, because we saw obviously Jason die, Jason Blood dying because of the fact that, you know, Etrigan's been finally been separated from him. And so Jason can, you know, go and rest in peace at last. And Etrigan can go back to doing his thing and working on being a rhymer. Which you know, obviously, uh, a lot of people I, I see, can find it hilarious. But the the weird thing is about the rhyming. You know, you and I know this, uh, Keith, but those who don't, <clears throat> being a rhyming demon within the hell of the DC universe is actually considered an honor. In the sense, if you get to that level uh, within the hierarchy of the demons and you become a rhymer, it means like pretty high up on the scale. Because yes. only so many demons can be rhymers. And so that's why it's not, you know, he's not trying to become a rapper or anything. It's just the fact <laughs> that he is, he is literally, he's literally of the category of the rhymers when it comes to, uh, to the, the, the demon stuff. Swamp Thing was just, because I, mean, I think we, we just, granted he's barely in this film, but I thought we should address him for the reason of being a big and important character in the DC world. I was kind of upset of what they did with Swamp Thing in the sense that maybe that's the one. Maybe you should not have had Jason Blood Etrigan just had Swamp Thing there and him be the the guy, if you will. Mm-hmm. But um, the fact that then, you know, we see the, the body of Alec Holland being stripped away from the Swamp Thing entity and that, you know, Swamp Thing turning to mulch and Lord knows where Alec's body goes. It's like, wow. We didn't get a resolution from this because either you, you'd think it would go of the uh, logic of destiny has been destroyed, uh, have the curses that he brought about, do those get, get cancelled out? And so uh-huh. everything gets rebooted to back it with the way it was. But we don't get any resolution of, oh, I hear that the uh, Swamp Thing is back or something like that. It's just like, nope, we're just going to let him die and we don't know what happens to him. So I like the introduction, but I'm like, oh, man. You show me Swamp Thing for like two minutes. He shows into the battle, gets murdered by Destiny, and that's it. No, that's basically kind of what happens. He's more of a plot device or like MacGuffin because, you know, Constantine calls him up and he's like, we need you to find the bad guy, which really wasn't the bad guy, but hey, whatever. So, you know, the fact that, you know, Swamp Thing was needed for that, which is weird because... The way Swamp Thing finds the big bad, quote unquote big bad, is because he's dumping this bad magic into the earth. And Swamp mm-hmm. Thing's all about Mother Earth. So you would have imagined that he would have gone and, you know, messed some crap up over there so he'd stop doing that. But clearly that doesn't happen. Swamp Thing is very naive to the world, as it were. You know, even though it's impacting him, it's not impacting him enough to have him do anything about it. Yeah, he's very much black and white, as in the sense of, are you protecting the green or aren't you? So it's kind of like, that's the way he almost sees it. That's why he maybe has respect for Zatanna, because she mentions that she has a garden and she tends this garden. So it's like, you I can dig because you're a good person and you take care of of the green that you have. And I think it's also maybe the uh, the use of Swamp Thing is, one, the plot device, and two, it's like, 
let's just show you yet another person that John Constantine is pissed off. Pretty much, yes. yeah. I mean, that's what's funny is she could blow up uh, an airplane. That's horrible. But because she waters her front lawn, he's okay with it. Yeah. Well, I mean, because we see that the, I guess the um, Swamp Thing doesn't value, you know, a human life as highly as he values the, you know, plants because that's his right. deal. But right, at exactly. the same time, yeah. So if you're not basically, um, you know, stepping on the flowers, you're a good person. It was like when, when John kind of coaxes him out, it's like, the posies get it if you don't come out. You know, so it's like, you know, he, right. He's trying to burn down the swamp just to get him to come out and say hi to him. Just ask him for a favor. That's right. I thought that was pretty, the posy comment was pretty good. The posies are going to get it if you don't hurry up. I'm like, I'm dying. This is hysterical. (laughs) Yeah. So that was funny. So I guess that's maybe what it was is just kind of like, this is another of the many people who don't like John Constantine because he is a bit of a dick. So, uh, uh, so I guess just a little bit of a dick, just a slight one. Yeah, that's right. I mean, from his ex-girlfriend to Swamp Thing to Richie to everybody else. And I don't think Batman's a particularly big fan of his either. But um, but Batman never sort of says anything, you know, to the contrary. It's like, why am I here? Let's do this thing. He's just like, he just couldn't care less. He just really wants to solve the mystery, get, 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 get out of there. And that's that. Because I think by the end of the movie... We don't even really see him say, you fought well, we will be in touch. He doesn't right, say- Right, he's over it. He's just like, I want to go home. I want to take this costume off. I'm hot and sweaty. This is dumb. Like, he's just like, I'm, he's just done. Yes, I just want to go the hell back to Gotham City and please don't bother me anymore. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's his deal. All righty, well, I guess that we can then get to the dark side of the table, starting with our faux big bad. As we mentioned, we have uh, Enrico Colantoni, as Felix Faust. So what do you make of who was supposed to be our big bad, uh, Keith? I'm torn because, you, you know, you expect him to be the big bad and there's a big twist. Oh, no. Yay. Twist. Whatever. Um, it's magic. It's always a twist. He seemed very throwaway. He was he started off really strong. And you're like, OK, he's going to put up a really good fight. And then the, the worm turns for lack of a better expression. And then he gets his ass handed to him. And it was like, well, that was, you know, kind of underwhelming. And then that's when you find out who the true uh, villain is for this. So I don't know. I would have liked to have seen a little bit more of him. He seems like he should have been able to or theoretically could hold his own more against the, the dark team but here i get it you know for time they just kind of turned around and nerfed him real fast and batman did his one thing he could do with his you know his whatever it was in his hand uh, to save everybody so it's like all right i i guess and you know even there you see batman is kind of useless up until the point where he had to you know step in and kind of save uh team from falling so it's like eh, do we really need batman here probably not um, I, again, he was another one of those throwaway villains. It's just, it happens in everything. You know, he, they build him up, they hype him up like, oh, he's this big, super bad guy. And five minutes later, they have him tied up and he's like, I don't know what you're doing here. Why are you guys attacking me? And he just, he turned him from like super bad guy to like comedy relief real fast. He's like, oh, I have plenty of rings. I have all these rings that could be mine. Like, like, what do you mean it could be yours? You, you you have all this magical shit rolling around and you forgot which rings are yours or not. So I'm like, it, it turned into very lazy writing. 
like real fast. And then Batman all of a sudden has the epiphany of him being the world's greatest detective just finally realizes that they're being played for a chump. And it's kind of sad that if Batman is supposed to be a uh, great of a detective as he is, it took him getting his ass handed to him to realize that, Oh, it's really this other guy. Yeah. I think, you know, we should definitely set up a drinking game of how many times Batman pretends to be the greatest detective and kind of gets, uh, gets it at the last minute, but at least here he was the first one to say, we've all been duped or something to that. Uh, that's uh, something to that effect, right? Yeah. Felix Faust. I mean, I agree because he's a little bit of a wimpy wizard. That's what I would call him in the sense that he starts off, like you said, very, he seems formidable because up until that point where he's being painted as the guy who's been doing all this crazy stuff of people seeing demons and murdering their fellow men and fellow women because of, because of them having these, these uh, visions, these hallucinations. So like this guy must be pretty bad news. I mean, I was familiar with Felix Faust from the comics and when it was, when they were saying, Oh, the big bad is Felix Faust. I'm like, really? I mean, I, I thought to myself, he's a, he's a good, he, he's one of the wizards or magicians in the, in the DC world, but I've never considered him to be a force to be reckoned with. As in, oh my God, it's Felix Faust's master plan. Because I see, I'd see him more working in tandem with other magicians, you know, other wizards or what have you. So that's why I was a little bit surprised. At first, I thought this is still a bit underwhelming. So all this is leading up to fighting Felix Faust. Okay. And so when they get to him, yeah, he, he does seem pretty formidable. It seems like nobody has a chance in hell of beating him. He does make some very unfortunate comments when it comes to Zatan. It's like, oh, you know, women shouldn't speak. It's like, I'm doing Ooh, the, yeah, that's cringe. <laughs> I'm doing the male population a favor because any woman who enters this, my sanctum sanctorum cannot speak. So, um, so I'm like, yeah, okay, we get it. That's why we have to hate you because, you know, you're, you, you're, you're this way towards women. You're just a horrible guy. And yeah, and he does, you know, give our heroes a run for their money for the most part. And then, of course, we get, Zatanna's chance to shine where she goes completely mental and becomes this incredibly superpowered creature who could literally obl- obliterate anybody and everybody and then of course i guess it's um uh it's john who kind of talks her down off the ledge saying you know you you're better than this you don't have to do this and all this kind of thing and so you know that's that gets resolved but i almost thought to myself you could have saved this for destiny because after that she gets defeated quite quickly when Destiny shows up. I'm like, where is the super badass Zatanna we saw against Felix Faust? Yeah, she, she kind of ran out of gas because she went a little too over the top with him. And then Destiny rolls up and you're like, oh, wow, this is going to be great. And she's like, oh, I got to go sit down and catch my breath. And you're like, wait, why? Wait, no. Go mur- go ape shit, you know, whatever. Go thermonuclear on him. Nah, we're good. I'm like, oh. It was very underwhelming with her in the big battle. Again, another yes. underwhelming moment. I, I totally agree. That's why I was kind of like really sort of upset that we didn't get that those crazy powers when it came to our serious big bad. But yeah, other than that, I mean, Felix was interesting as in as an appetizer. But uh, but then after that, yeah, he becomes a little bit wimpy and he's just like, oh, you know, I didn't do this. Don't hurt me. Why am I? Why are you here? And so on. And so. Yeah, and then when finally realized that yes, he was just an appetizer for what's really coming. Granted, he'd been teased in you know in the movie prior to this when it came to uh, Jason Blood's story that this mm-hmm. was whom you know he had encountered in the Middle Ages during Camelot. But 
you, I thought at first it was just going to be you know, part of his origin, but that's, that's not the case. So, yeah, Felix, you can take him or leave him. I think Enrico Colantoni did a good job voicing him, but the character itself, I was kind of glad. I'm like, yeah, okay, good. He's not the big bad because, please, not Felix Faust. With all these characters, no. So I was, I was pleased with that. So I guess we can get to our big twist, because like you said, if there's magic, there's always a twist. So our twist character and our actual big bad, we have Jeremy Davies as Richie Simpson, of course, John's longtime friend slash uh, number one hater, and Alfred Molina, Dr. Octopus himself as Destiny. So what did you make of these two, Keith? Um, You know, it's... You see them on screen and you're like, well, why, you know, how is this happening? But the fact that Felix hates, or not Felix, rather, or Richie rather hates Constantine so much is justified. It really honestly is. It's not like he was an asshole and like they got into a fist fight. Like, no, he literally got magic cancer due to Constantine. Like Constantine killed him. And, you know, he is very much bitter, angry, all, you know, Pick your, you know, emotion. He's all of that because he is dying because of some dumb shit Constantine did, which we never see. We just hear about, you know, in passing that, oh, I have magic cancer due to Constantine and that thing he did at that one time. And you're like, show me. I want to know what happened. Like, it makes sense. But they don't do that. So you kind of have to fill in the blanks. But you get why he is so mad and so angry and so jaded because he got the raw end of the deal. Constantine here is alive and well and smoking cigarettes and womanizing and drinking like nobody's business. And, you know, Richie, this poor ass who happened to be, you know, doing something with Constantine at the time is now dying because of that. So it's just the carnage that Constantine leaves in his wake. So I get the resentment and the anger and all that stuff toward you know, John Constantine and the fact that he's going to go to any length necessary to cure this magic cancer, because again, he feels like he got the short end of the stick. So I'm not saying what he did was right, but I can understand why he did it. And then, you know, destiny being this quote unquote God of magic was a complete badass. You know, he kills, you know, um, swamp thing, as we mentioned, and Jason blood, and he basically kills them the exact same way. He just splits them apart and they just, their human forms die. And the magic in terms of Etrigan, he's still alive because he's a separate demon. But Swamp Thing turns back into mulch and just kind of does whatever the hell he does. Um, he was really powerful until he wasn't, which was kind of annoying in the respect that it just took Constantine and Deadman teaming up to get past his magic barrier and to take him over and then okay now we're all gonna die done and you're like i was super like man you expected a lot more to happen and it just kind of was like all right and we're done and it was very short and sweet but uneventful if that makes any sense you're like okay you expect him to like you know crack the planet in half and murder everybody he's you brainwashed the whole justice league and yet here he is he gets taken out with some dude possessed by a ghost yeah, it did seem a little bit rushed, and I was kind of concerned that it would end in a very rushed way because I, when Destiny showed up as our true big bad, I also looked at the runtime of our movie, and I thought to my, and I said, said to myself, 
how are they going to wrap this up in like 10 minutes? <laughs> yes. So because, as you said, we see Destiny literally setting the, the entire city to flame and basically dealing away with our heroes like they were ragdolls, no matter who it is. Like, nothing can hurt him. You know, Batman's exploding batarangs. Forget it. So Swamp Thing gets dealt with in two seconds. Zatanna's too tired. There's... And, and in, within this kind of impenetrable ball that he's in, he's like Superdome, and nobody can penetrate that. And I guess the idea of we'll, we'll beat him with cunning, as in have Dead Man get in there and possess him, and that way he kind of loses control and they destroy his magic dome. It did seem a little bit facile and it did seem a little bit quick, seeing as all the destruction he wrought up until that point. Not to mention, then, of course, you have the Coup de Grasse, where, of course, he gets stabbed by his own sword, pretty much. Exactly. He's just very like, oh, all right, and we're dead. And you're like, well, all right, whatever. Yeah, I believe it's, I think it's actually Jason Blood who's able to administer the final blow by literally running him through with the sword, which literally looked like the sword from, um, what's that um, That Japanese anime? Um, and also the, the manga. Just narrow that one down a lot. Uh, <laughs> No, it was, yeah, it was Guts's sword. What, what, Berserk, that's what it uh, is. Berserk, yeah, Berserk, yeah. It seemed like Guts's sword. It did kind of, yeah, I think about the long sword that he had from Berserk. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah, his like dying wish was able to run him through and kind of complete his quest. Yeah, so I guess poetically, like the errant knight has, has um, you know, claimed and ended their quest successfully by completely destroying destiny. So I guess there is that. But yes. During so much of this film, you've established that Destiny is like all powerful and nobody can stop him. And then it just takes these little sort of moments of, I guess, ingenuity to defeat yes. him. I was like, okay, I guess they beat him with smarts over magic. And I guess it gives Batman something to do and something to blow up with his batarang because up until that point, he hadn't really done much. So, <laughs> I mean, aside from saving Constantine with his grappling hook, but other than that, Batman had kind of been pretty rubbish throughout the course of this movie because he's like, pretty much. I, mean, I mean, I'll give him, I'll give him credit because he has no magic. So he's, he is kind of outgunned if in this movie, but I, I just love that no matter what, he keeps trying to throw those exploding batarangs and they do nothing. But uh, <laughs> I, He's like, I got this. And he throws it in. You're like, nope, not, not today, Batman. Yeah. I'm like a for efforts, Batman. Thanks for playing. <laughs> You know, but it's it's not going to work. And then finally we get, we've seen so many of these exploding batarangs. Finally, one of them works. And it's actually functional to defeating our venom. So, okay, cool. But uh, I really like Destiny, though. I mean, Alfred Molina, of course, we know is a, is a fabulous actor. As I mentioned, Dr. Octopus and tons of other things. So the voice was fantastic. I was just like, wow. I was, I was hoping a little bit more from Destiny. Either, either they, did some, they went something really crazy and, the Spectre showed up, for example, and that's me there with like, I am the Spectre, you shall not pass, and then he's destroyed, or something to that of that nature, because like you said, it seemed like very sort of simplistic, the way he was defeated, but I suppose it's like the concept of ingenuity over great power wins the day. I guess. I mean, it's like, you know, killing him with like a fork or something. You're like, ha he never saw that coming. Like, it's a fork. He's near immortal, super omnipotent, you know, near omnipotent, whatever. And you killed him with the most basic thing ever. Yep. That's about yeah. right. <laughs> I guess. I mean, uh, 
it almost made me think of Lord of the Rings. It's like, you know, you would never suspect the hobbits being able to take down something as big as Sauron, but he did. So I guess it maybe is almost like a David versus Goliath kind of situation. Uh, that's, I guess, what I made of it. Richie Simpson, I, go ahead. No, I'm with you. I guess it's like one way to put it. It's the whole David versus Goliath. I mean, it couldn't be any worse, but, you know. <laughs> exactly. That, I mean, that's that's the only kind of way I can explain it. Richie Simpson, I agree. I can't but uh, understand, you know, agree with him being mad and miffed at John because, like you said, John comes always ends up being completely unscathed from any of his magical escapades. Well, you know, to your point, anybody who gets involved ends up either dying or getting hurt or getting magical cancer. So it's just one of those things. He just seems to, to bring death with him wherever he goes. And this is actually a recurring theme of the Hellblazer comics of that's why John Summers does not like to work with people because he's caused so much death with those who were involved. I mean, the, I believe the events that caused Richie's cancer is that famous episode in Newcastle, which um, Zatanna references to where you had there, in that story, there was this girl, young girl called Astra who was lost and ended up in hell. And, you know, and among these things, I believe Richie was helping him with that particular mission. It might be that. I don't know. But I, uh, I totally get Richie being being. Up, upset i to put it to put it mildly <laughs> <laughs> i mean understandably as soon as he sees john he makes sure to to to, to hit him because that's you know give him a nice punch in the face i mean it's not the, the last punch that he will be receiving but not the first either so i can't blame him and yeah and i think his whole i think throughout the course of this film is finding a cure and trying to get rid of it and i suppose it's almost like he gets much more than he bargained for because he he finds uses this dream stone, if you will, and that obviously un, unlocks destiny and brings destiny back. Kind of promises him that this is what will happen. So it's almost like Mephistopheles with Faust. It's like I'm, you know, if you do this for me, you will be cured of your cancer. But of course, Richie completely disappears and destiny takes over. So there is that, and of course, by movie's end, that's pretty much kind of the end of Richie, I suppose. But uh, yeah, I uh, I dug the character. I did not expect him to go down this route, to be honest. I thought it was just going to be, once again, another one on the list of people that don't like John Constantine. But I'm, glad <laughs> that, I'm glad he was he was more than that. So, and, uh, and Jeremy Davies did a very good job of, uh, of voicing him. I actually did not check to see whether Jeremy is actually uh, from the South or not. But even if, if he isn't, his Southern accent was pretty convincing, at least to me. What did you make of that? I it was good enough. He you gotta remember he's a, a sickly old guy, older gentleman. Yeah. So you know it doesn't have to be the perfect southern. And depending on where he is from, you know, in the United States, they have either like a super deep uh, boomhauer southern, mm -hmm. or you just have a slight twang southern. He was kind of like that, like that happy medium. Like he grew up in like the northern of North Carolina, we'll say, which is you know central. Uh, East Coast. So mm -hmm. I, he did a good enough job. It was passable. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it didn't seem uh, forced to me anyway, but uh, I did like the character. And it seems like it, one of the sort of big threads of this story is just that is either finding a cure to ail you for something. So it's like Richie with this, Jason Blood with Etrigan, um, John maybe coming, coming to, um, coming to terms with some things he's done. 
Zatanna, maybe trying to split between the fact of being the superpowered being or wanting to kind of entertain people. So there is that duality with a lot of these characters. And I, I enjoyed that, that running theme. And uh, yeah, I, I was just a little bit underwhelmed by the way the, the movie ended. Because like I said, you're looking at the runtime, like 10 minutes. They're going to wrap this up in 10 minutes, really. So uh, it just happens. But uh but other than that, I, I did like it. I It did make me want to watch the sequel, which I haven't watched yet. If it is actually an actual natural sequel, it's just another Justice League dark movie. But uh, I definitely want to check that out uh, for sure after this, as much as the ending could have been done a little bit better. But uh, other than that, I was I was pretty much happy with it. Uh, did, did you have anything else you wanted to add, Keith? No, I, I actually watched the Justice League Dark Apocalypse War. Mm-hmm. I was watching that this morning. So it's funny oh. you bring that one up. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah. Cause uh, I mean, I, I, as I said, I've never watched it, but I'm looking forward to, to eventually tackling it with you uh, on this, uh, on, on this podcast, of course. So, yeah, I mean, I was, I was happy with the, with, with the rest of the stuff that we got. The dialogue was fun. I think that, you know, it was decently written. I think Alt Backer and, um, and Demetrius did a good job with some of the dialogue, which actually did literally make me chuckle in places. So, I'll give them that. The, the, the music was, it was not bad. Robert J. Crow did a, did a good job with the music as well. What I really, really enjoyed, which I know for what it's worth, is the opening sequence. Or rather, when the word Constantine, which is scrawled on, Bat- on Batman's walls, uh, starts shining yellow, and then we get our opening title, an opening sequence, I really enjoyed that. Because I think it was somewhat of an, a homage to the OG Constantine TV show from the CW, but uh-huh. also the music and just the way it was done. You see all these, cool, of course, eldritch symbols and what have you. Oh, I can, I'm digging this. This is cool. So uh, for what it's worth, I did like the opening sequence as well, the opening titles, if you will. That was good. So I guess then we can get to ratings then. Uh, Keith, what do you give Justice League Dark out of 10? Um, I'm going to... Give it a conservative seven. You know, it's a fun watch. It has a decent rewatch value, but in terms of stories, it's it's a little shallow. Fair enough. I mean, I'm going to give it a seven and a half out of 10. I did enjoy it. As I mentioned before, the ending was a little bit underwhelming, but other than that, I enjoyed all the other elements to this. And heck, you know, the fact it makes me want to watch more of the Justice League Dark animated characters I think it means that the movie did its job in uh, in wanting me to get interested in those. So mission accomplished at DC Animated Universe. Mission accomplished. So it's a seven and a half out of ten for me. So I guess we can then uh, go on over to recommendations. Uh, do you have anything you want to recommend, Keith? I, I would definitely recommend if anybody likes this movie to pick up the Justice League Dark comic books. Uh, there are a lot of different characters in there. They have. Um, Wonder Woman showing more of her origins. Granted, it is the New 52 Justice League Dark, so it's you kind of have some of it with a grain of salt, but it's a fun team. They go through the dark underbelly, as it were, of the DC Universe. Like They have Upside Down Man, which is a crazy powerful being. I wish they brought some a little bit more of that. If they make another Justice League Dark, I hope they bring him into the into the fold. So definitely check out the cartoon. The uh, Apocalypse War, check out that one. That's a, a fun watch. Um, I think that's going to be it for my recommendations. Fantastic. Yes, I definitely uh, will echo your thoughts when it comes to the Justice League Dark comics. I mean, I know that when the new 52 came about, a lot of the titles came under severe scrutiny and a lot of people were not happy with the stories being told in a lot of the new 52 titles. But I will happily say 
that the Justice League Dark New 52 stories were really entertaining. I really enjoyed them. Like you were saying, Keith, they introduced us to some characters you would never probably have heard of or have never heard of, but they're just so compelling and interesting. And you're like, wow, we thought we'd seen it all. There's some seriously powerful beings and creatures that you've never heard of, which will, I think, definitely fire up your imagination. So I definitely agree with that. And I will also add, if you can watch it in order, the first and only season of the uh, of Constantine TV show on CW. <laughs> if you, in order is the key word there, because when it was on television, they aired it out of order. So things didn't make a lot of sense. That's why a lot of had a lot of people scratching their heads. And some people say it might have been the cause of the show being canceled. Definitely. I would agree with that. Yeah, because it was really, really good. But yeah, folks, if you can watch it in order, make sure you watch it in order. Check out the first early season, of course, of Constantine from the CW. So, of course, uh, dear listeners, if you'd like to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email at happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. If you show support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you find us as Happiness and Darkness, or follow us on Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod. And uh, Keith, for folks who want to interact with you on the interwebs, where can they find you? Uh, they can check me out on Facebook. I'm always checking out our website or our webpage, rather. So if you guys drop a comment on any of our posts, I'll be sure to respond. Fantastic stuff. And uh, folks, if you are fans of country music, as I did mention Southern accents, you, you won't hear me doing a Southern accent, but you will hear <laughs> a lot of folks who actually are from that part of the world where, we, of course, we play today's country, traditional country, and everything else in between on Whiskey and Cigarettes, the country music radio show. For more information about that, visit our website. That's whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, if you are fans of Best Picture winners and Best Picture winning movies, as in a week's time, as of this recording, will be at the 95th Academy Awards. You can find myself, Zan Sprouse, and Rachel Friend on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast, where we review said movies in chronological order. We uh, will be, our next one that we will be reviewing, we'll be wrapping up the 90s with American Beauty. So there is that. Also, uh, myself and the Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone, where him and I are currently reviewing the ninth and final season of The Flash. And that's the Fandom Zone podcast. And speaking of things to come on this show, this is actually going to be a surprise for Keith, because I actually miscalculated. Next time, we will be <laughs> staying in Magic Land, but we will be taking on the 2006 Phil Weinstein film, Hellboy Sword of Storms. I say I surprised Keith because I thought we'd already come to Shazam, Fear of the Gods, but that's going to be in two weeks' time. So spoiler for you guys for what we're going to be doing in two weeks. So, uh, Keith, first <laughs> of all, uh, apologies for me jumping so enthusiastically ahead because I just can't wait to see Shazam, Fear of the Gods. So anything you'd like to add on either Hellboy, Sword of Storms, or anything else you'd like to add before we sign off? Uh, I'm looking forward to watching this one. I, I watched it a long time ago when it first came out. So it, it'll be a fun rewatch, almost like the first time all over again. So I'm looking forward to this one. And yes, it was a nice little surprise because I had to go check the calendar. I was like, wait a second. I think we're a week ahead of ourselves. <laughs> yes. He does this to make sure I'm paying attention, guys and gals. Yes, I, exactly. I do it to keep to keep Mr. Bliss on his on his toes. That's right. So, and I said once again, it was just my enthusiasm of just can't wait for a new superhero movie in the theaters. So I guess that's probably why I jumped two weeks ahead. But yes, uh, I'm uh, as folks know on this podcast, I'm a huge fan of of Hellboy. I've never seen this one, so I'm really, really? looking forward. Yes, and I have to admit, I've never seen the animated but the animated movies of Hellboy. I of course love. 
The first Hellboy and the Golden Army, less said about that very weird remake, the better. But uh, this one I'm excited about for sure. So I guess, as always, dear listeners, thanks for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next time with Hellboy Sword of Storms. Until then, stay super. Ciao, my people. Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC. Member SIPC.